I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, this is Dave Kittle. Welcome back to The Dave Kittle Show. I have nothing to sell you. We are putting out content for physical therapy practice owners and uh, healthcare business owners. Today, we're speaking with one of our colleagues, Will Butler. Really interesting story. Uh, Long story short, he's a physical therapist or physio who transitioned into financial services. We're going to get into the backstory as to why. And uh, part of, if not the main reason why, is because he he had lost his father and had not had a lot of financial planning set in place, which then put a lot of stress on his siblings and, uh, of course, his mother. And that is the main reason why we're having Will Butler on the podcast today to get more insight on who he helps, what he does for practice owners and business owners. And we're going to get into all of that and more. First of all, Will Butler, welcome on, man. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm glad I could be here. Well, we've had a lot of pre-interview and, and you're definitely warmed up, raring to go. So you and I, we've known each other on, I don't know, Facebook and, and the internet for at least three, four years, if not more. Tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and your transition from going from being a physio in the physical therapy world, treating patients to what you're doing now. Yeah. So I, I was going to make a terrible joke when you said, I have nothing to sell you. And I was going to be like, I have everything to sell you, but I just knew my dad joke a lot went off. So I didn't lead with that. But, <laughs> All good. <laughs> but no, I, yeah, and we have, we've known each other for yeah at least three, four years. And then um, my transition is I ended up in, I ended up in physical therapy school because I always liked human movement. I thought it was fascinating. I grew up in the MacGyver generation and I always associated with physical therapists. I always kind of considered them the MacGyvers of the human body. Let's take what you got and figure out how to make it work. And ignorantly enough, that actually pushed me through all the way to physical therapy school, that thought system and belief. And, um, and I get into physical therapy school and I end up in advocacy meetings and I got really excited about the idea of having like a team, like, a, Hey, I'm on a professional team all over the country. People I'll never meet. We're all kind of trying to do the same stuff. I mean, I liked that in those meetings though, the types of things that they were advocating for us as students to do, to help the profession didn't make a lot of sense to me. They didn't resonate. A lot of it had to do with lobbying and asking politicians for money. And um, I've got no problem asking people for money, but I do have a problem asking for money when I don't understand or believe. And I'd never treated a patient up to that point. So I was like, eh, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I did light that advocacy candle and it all just kind of flickered on the back shelf for a while. I ended up into clinical practice and I'd start hearing a few things started to like highlights that I knew related to money started to pop up. The first of which was it started to notice my mind drifting during patient interviews. I'd spend more time wondering if my student loan payment cleared what my exit out of, you know, my staff clinician position looked like, like, what kind of money do I need? They said I have benefits. What do those benefits mean? But and it all started happening when I should have been dialed into the person in front of me. And to me, that was like problematic. You know, my entire purpose of being there was to help these people. And here I am wondering about myself. 
So that was something I wanted a solution for. And the other thing I started to notice and had an appreciation for was the impact of negative stressors on people's healing and recovery process. And where I thought I was helping get people back to active lifestyles, a lot of the patient population I was working with were like, hey, you got to get me back to work. I'm running out of money. And so my thought was as well, this person would end up injured anyway, but now their healing is likely delayed because they're running out of, they're so stressed out over money. I wonder if you could help people before they get to this point. And that was just kind of the thoughts and ideas. And what pushed me into it ultimately was one of my best friends, his name is Jeff, got tired of hearing me complain about my student loan debt. And he said, Will, you got to quit about this and you got to do something about it. So through that process, eventually I realized he was a financial advisor, which either means, make, means he's a terrible one because he never told me or me a terrible friend because I never asked. Regardless, that's how I started the transition into financial services. And what really kind of ignited that was he said, Will, let's take these financial things that you struggle with. Let's learn about them, do something about them. And then frankly, you should consider communicating with your colleagues about it because I talk to a lot of healthcare professionals and they have all the same questions. And he goes, and not to like bring up a sore subject, but I mean, what if your dad had had somebody to talk to, you know, and all of those types of things built a bridge of logic. And then the emotion of my family past pushed me over the bridge and I took my clinical skill set and repurposed it into having these kinds of financial conversations with people. Yeah. So let's go into as much as you're able to and, and willing to go into it. Let's go into the backstory about your father, his business, and some of the learnings that you got from that. And then you kind of use that whole experience as kind of a part of a foundation to help business owners now. So tell, tell us what happened with your dad and, and about his business and, and his uh, trajectory. Yeah. So and that's one of the things like, uh, it's not uncommon after kind of talking about my dad, because I'm so quick to do it, that people feel sometimes a little uncomfortable, and they don't know what to say. It's been like 20 plus years now since my father passed away. But sometimes the early lessons are the ones that persist. And so that's why I bring that up quite a bit. And as well, my dad was a small business owner. And so that's important to me. But so my dad had started out in, uh, he was kind of a, an adventure an adventure type of person. I actually think if he had had Instagram, he'd be a social media influencer. I really do. They got, he got written up <laughs> okay. in an outdoor magazine of this guy who used to take a couple lawn chairs, throw them in his Volkswagen bus along with spear fishing gear. And he would go and live on the beach in Mexico for the summers because he'd been a Spanish teacher and he was specifically a Spanish teacher because it allowed him the freedom during the summer. He's already crafting his lifestyle before you know, Tim Ferriss ever wrote the four hour work week, you know? And so regardless, he just had this kind of live this kind of wild life. And eventually one day was um, living in Southern California, stumbled, met this guy who was sitting on the back of a sailboat, tinkering with some sort of piece of equipment. The guy says, this is going to be something. Turns out it was a piece of laser equipment. And eventually my dad ended up in sales and started a distributorship business selling construction grade lasers and so ultimately what those are used for is like establishing grade over a long distance for maybe it's a slab for a building, a skyscraper, industrial complex, even down into helping it with the roadways to make sure, you know, you get water runoff, those types of things. So it's one of those types of things that you overlook, you don't consider, but sometimes you wonder, hey, how did they build this? And so he would provide equipment to help support that. 
And at the time, that's where we lived is in Southern California and business was going well until we get some hiccups in the early 90s and an economic recession completely shut down the construction industry. Well, that's difficult when that's where you make your money. And eventually what happened is he, this one of the lessons, one of the things I appreciate the most about my dad is he did whatever he could to keep the business open. And he had a goal to keep the business open and to pay his employees until the very last employee was able to find a job somewhere else. And then it was at that point that he transitioned out and he started to figure out a solution for, Hey, now what do I need to do for my family? Because my dad was a very confident and driven person and had always bet on himself and had always won up to that point and in and throughout his life. And so we ended up, he ended up having to close that business and we ended up relocating to the state of Ohio where I currently reside. And he took a sales position because the company who he was distributing for said, you know, times are rough. People are consolidating all over. You know, the products better than anyone. You should join our sales team. And eventually it got to a point where he did well enough that they said, Hey, Pat, we can't keep you on here because we can hire four young 20 year olds, 22 year olds right out of undergrad. And we can run them to death and they won't do as well as you will with the skills that you have, but it's a lot cheaper for us. And so they eventually pushed him out to open up another distributorship. And it was at that point where things started to take a turn for me and my family. Things were going great. He had started a new business. You know, just like lots of businesses, when you go to get money from a bank, they say, hey, we need to see a business plan. And he was already two years ahead of his financial projections. So you can imagine, I don't remember the math because at the time I was like, in, I was like 17, 16, 17, not really paying attention, just wondering if um, I assumed things were good if I wanted a pair of Nikes and my parents said yes. And so that's kind of how I judged how we were doing. And so that was what was going on. And throughout, and I'm just kind of watching this go along and my dad has this business and things are great. And I'll never forget it. One day, Dave, do you ever remember the movie U571, the sure. submarine movie? I just remember sitting there, hanging out with my siblings in the front room, playing games. And my dad walks in, he's just feeling great. You know, I mean, you got to think of it. He's 58 years old, had this business. It was successful, had to close it. It's a heartbreak, relocates from Southern California to Ohio. And then he's given another shot and then things are great. He's like, I knew it. I knew it wasn't a fluke. It was a conditional thing. So he's feeling just awesome. And I just remember him saying, hey, I'm going to go ride my bike. And once I get done riding my bike, we'll go see that new submarine movie. And that was awesome. So we were all pumped. Everybody's happy. Family's great. No fighting, no strife. You know, being from Ohio, you can assume some of the redneck stereotypes could be true. This one was, I had a tarp hooked up to our lawnmower our riding lawnmower and I was pulling my siblings through the backyard, kind of like redneck jet skiing. And <laughs> I, I just remember like looking behind and I'm like, I take a turn and my, my siblings just kind of slide and tumble a little bit. This was awesome. It was just one of those things that kind of pure moment. Well, I'm coming around a corner and all of a sudden they see a cop car turn down our street. And my first thought was nervousness is like, am I abusing my siblings? Did somebody report me for what I'm currently doing? And so I like stopped the mower and he pulls the cop car, pulls into the driveway and I'm walking up and I look there that my dad's bike is in the back of his trunk, just hanging out the back of it. And all of a sudden the world got real slow. A lot like, you know, these superhero movies where travesty happens and then the world just slows down. And I just knew at that point that nothing would ever be the same, regardless of what the outcome was. And I also remember my mom come flying out the front door, you know, the screen door flies open. She's screaming. She's almost, she's, um, she's pregnant with my youngest brother and just something wasn't right. 
Well, it turns out my dad had suffered a lethal arrhythmia out on that bike ride here, here one minute, gone the next, you know, the riders who he was with tried to perform resuscitative measures and it just didn't happen. Well, and it was at that point where all of a sudden, you know, life got very, very real up to that point. It was kind of a, for me, at least it was largely a wonder bread, rose colored glasses kind of life where not a lot of hardship, not a lot of, I mean, it was just easy, you know? And then that's when I started to realize and start to observe, you know, the world and how the world works. And the first thing that happened was my mom informs us that the business is going away. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know? And then I remember hearing my mom on phone calls and then hanging up the phone and just crying. I'm like, why is she crying? You know, I come to find out that my mom was under the impression that the family had adequate life insurance because my dad had been working with a, a small business benefits broker. And the guy said, Hey, Pat, I've been running the numbers. You're paying too much for old benefits and this, and I got you all taken care of. You can just let go of this stuff and just let it lapse, save some money, reinvest it into the business, you know? And then my mom goes to make a call to that company. And that company says, Mrs. Butler, we know this is a real awful time for you, but you don't have any benefits in force with us. Your policies haven't been approved. We're under no obligation to pay out this claim. And that one I would say was kind of like the first, like, that was like a boom. What do we do next kind of moment? And I haven't taken a breath for a little bit. Dave, do you have any questions about any of this or any gaps or anything that you think I should circle back to? Well, first, I mean, I just appreciate your your openness and your transparency and your uh, your ability to share that story. And I know that you've been able to and uh, you've told that story to many of our colleagues and maybe on other podcasts, I'm not sure. But I just appreciate your openness to to share that because I think that and in the pre-interview, you and I, you and I were talking about business owners and and entrepreneurs, and they kind of have to be, maybe they have a screw loose or you know one or two, or they have to be a little, they have to be a little different. And in that whole continuum of business, small business owners, entrepreneurs, they have to do, uh, they're spinning a million plates. They have to do a lot of things, and maybe something like life insurance policies or or financial planning and things like that, that now you help practice owners with, um, I guess it's either easy for business owners to not think about those things because it's some off in the distant, you know, thing to think about, even though it shouldn't be, or it doesn't have to be. So first, I just want to say thank you for mentioning that story. And I think that uh, at least for me, it's already made me consider like, okay, so I'm 35 and I kind of feel invincible, you know, and there's probably practice owners listening that are 50, 60 something that are, maybe they're not ready to sell or retire or exit or anything, but they might also still feel the same way I do where they feel healthy and they might not have all, all these things in order. So I appreciate your ability to, to just kind of convey your life story. And I think, you know, if it helps one practice owner that's listening, if it helps one business owner, even if they already have their own financial professional, or they already have some things in place, and maybe this spurs them to call their advisor and to review the policies that are in place and the coverages. And there's so many other things that you and I were going to probably talk about in the future and have you back and, and talk about specific topics. But um, well, that, that it, made me that that made me think about that made me think about like a number of things. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the appreciation. 
because I think it's important. Well, and the other thing that I think is, and you know, I used to get a little bit nervous and sensitive about constantly bringing it up, but I think it's important to know that when you feel bulletproof is a great time. When you're at the top of that mountain, that's usually when you get the best views. Like that's when you should be looking ahead and into the future. But so often human behavior is I'm doing well, I should coast, you know, and, and that's fine, but that you should coast, you should enjoy it, but it's also a great time to take in the view. And I think sometimes it's important to be reminded of that. And from like a, like maybe a clinical correlate, it's never one squat repetition that returns an athlete to sport. You know, it's repetitions, 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 repetitions. And I think that it's, you know, you learn from the moments of tragedy, but I think you prepare for those with these types of conversations where you just think, you know, maybe I should consider some stuff because like, like how, how would that have happened? Like, what are the odds of that? So my dad had had these policies. So the reason that we talk about life insurance and the reasons for that, and a lot of times people, I used to be really sensitive about the fact that I talked about it, which is ironic because that single piece of the financial puzzle would have solved so many significant problems for my family. So I recognize the bias, but I also recognize the sensitivity and the stereotypes around the topic. But it's like, it's, it's like feeling embarrassed that you pick up a pink dumbbell because you know, you're working on some sort of a reactive tendinopathy in your arm. It's like, who cares? You know, this is about you and this is about your journey. And so like the reason why I think it's significant and it's important is my dad took the word of a professional. The guy said everything was going to be okay without knowing the right kinds of questions to double check and to ask for. Did my dad know and need to ask that? Who knows? My dad was 58 years old at the time. I would have thought, and a lot of people assume, and in what you alluded to, Dave, is like, who knows the age of everybody listening, but lots of people think they're in a position where they're okay. And, you know, and my dad had been in a situation, tremendous financial setback from losing the first business, rebuilding basically a second financial future and kind of rebuilding his financial stuffs, was on a rocket ship trajectory to the point where he eventually would have had a business like a lot of people hope for, where he wouldn't have really had to do anything. The business would have got to a point where he'd have transitioned it to us, the siblings. We would have perpetuated it. It would have fed the family. It would have paid for college. It would have done all the supported. My mother would have done all these things. And that was the hope. And that's what was talked about. And that was the dream. And that was being chased. And I think that's great for bar conversation. If you're a business owner and you're that crazy and you're taking on these things, there's certain things you need to pay attention to. And in order to complete the journey, you got to make sure you have the provisions for it. You got to fuel the ship or else it doesn't, you know, ships don't run on hopes and dreams, right? Absolutely. So knowing what you know now, what types of things would you have talked with your father about? Yeah, great question. Like, and that's, that's what I think about now. And that's why I like talking to these business owners. In my spare time, I'm still trying to figure out time travel so I can just go back and talk to him and get that all figured out. But I'm not very far along. And so these conversations and the types of things I would have had is the first question I would ask my dad is, Hey, hey, Pat, uh, how many kids you got? Who's the most? Well, I, not even that. I was like, what's the most important thing to you right now? What do you truly care about? Not what do you tell people you care about? What do you care about? Allowed him to frame that. And then the next conversation would be like, if those, if those people, because I knew it was us, mattered the most, what are you doing for them actively? You do talk about the business and say, all right, that's great. What if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? What happens to them? What happens to your business? Is your wife in a position? to where she would be able to take over the business? Would she want to take care of the, over the business? Do you have any business partners? You do. How does that shake out? What do they want to happen? What if something happens to them? 
the reason you ask these types of questions are the same reasons you want to make sure that a house is built on a stable foundation because you want to know that it's going to withstand the test of time. You know, a wall can fall, but you can always build upon a good foundation. So those are the types of questions I would have asked him. Then the next thing I would have asked him is like, well, what else are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night? What are like the, what are these types of things? Awesome. What do you feel that you're doing to prepare for those things? What do you have in place? And just see where he was coming from. You know, they didn't have the right kinds of legal paperwork into play. So it defaults to just state process and how that's handled. And if it's a business partner situation, these are the types of things I would have asked him initially to see and to figure out if he has answers. Because business owners in good business models are able to create money. You can do it. And so the idea in a lot of people, when they think of financial planning, they're so married to the idea that their 401k is what's going to save them, the returns in the market. And they think about those things. And they, I think they think about it because it's what typical people, those who maybe don't have the same loose screw, it's the things they look for for security. And that's not where business owners should be thinking. Business owners need a bulletproof model. They need to prove the concept in action. And then they need to secure it to give it time to work. So you mentioned asking these questions to, let's just say in this case, it was what you would ask your father or in this future present tense where you might ask current business owners. Isn't that part of the problem where if you ask current business owners, they're not necessarily going to be able to think about these potential adverse events, right? They're thinking about payroll. They're thinking about taxes. They're thinking about you know, customer service and marketing and and new customer demand and maybe hiring, training. I mean, a million other things. Maybe they're growing, maybe they're downsizing. I mean, it just depends on the practice or the or the business owner. They're thinking about all these other things. So where where do you kind of draw the line or or I don't know how the financial world and the financial advisors and planners, how they best present these things because where do you draw the line between like scare tactics when speaking to a practice owner or business owner about these potential events, the difference between the scare tactics and actually like giving them anecdotal stories or even your, you know, father's story. Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I know right now, even I'm just so fired. I'm just fired up this morning. I don't even know what it is. Maybe it was a good workout, no PRs, but I'm just blood is racing. So even as I print I would never have that conversation in that way with that intensity with an owner. And this is where I think th- that, So kind of speaking, maybe going one level up, you talked about financial services and financial professionals. You know, I feel more strongly that business owners should have a team of financial, they should have a team of people that they can delegate these types of things to with time because of the types of stuff they're so busy in their business. And I think that makes a lot of sense. So the line between scare tactics, I typically would just ask those questions and say, well, what's the place? but my point is they're not thinking about it. So Correct. how how can you help a business owner? How can you get it on their radar in a way that they appreciate you kind of presenting it, but not in a salesy way, not in a scare tactic way, but is it just through stories? Is it like, hey, this is what happened with my father. This is, like you said, what if you get hit by a bus and then is is all that set up or not? Is your spouse or partners able to take it over? Do, all, do you have agreements and and do you have contracts or, or things in place, yeah. policies in place, operating well, think, agreements, all those types of things. Well, I think a lot of it starts with, for me, it's being able to understand where someone's coming from first and foremost. 
some people need a narrative to start making them think about things. Like you said, the stories, and then eventually they call up and they say, your story really resonated. I want to make sure that kind of stuff doesn't happen to my family. And that's great. And I find that resonates with a lot of practice owners because the types of people that a lot of times clinic owners are like at their core, other people just need things very objectively, you know, and maybe other, especially maybe more, let's say engineer, let's say it's like a, a company that specializes in highly engineered products, electronic like a, construction, like an an- analytical thinker or logical thinker, or something you just like lay that. it out. Then I think the questions are simple. I think it's a reassurance that this is not a tedious process. Like it might take a little bit of effort, but the little bit of effort will pay out for a long, long time. And then as well as ownership of that. So it's because like, you're right. Last thing I want is one more thing, but it's like, this causes a lot more problems. Let's just carve off some time and solve for this. Here are the things good business and successful business owners have answers to. Do you have answers to these questions? No, yes, no, no, yes, yes, yes. Cool. Let's turn the no's into yeses. And here are the things you should go talk to your legal team about. Here are the things you should be talking to your financial people about. Then once you have answers, if they're a good professional, they'll want to talk to you. Maybe just check in for a review once or twice a year just to make sure nothing's changed. But I think make it as painless as possible when people are juggling lots of things, because a lot of times that's where they avoid it. Well, everything is going great. Why do I need to worry about what happens when things start to rain? So I'd say those are kind of, so I think you nailed it. I don't think there's anything magical. I'm just reflecting on the types of conversations I've had. Most recently, I started working with a company local to me and the owner said, I want to take care of my employees. And the question we asked is, well, how do you want to take care of your employees? Well, yeah, like, a, I, like an ESOP or something like that? Yep. Well, it, it, exactly. It was an ESOP. I said, well, what makes you think that's what takes care of them? Well, here, here's what you started to describe what he wanted to do. And then the question was as well, that's great. What, who takes care of them if you're not here to take care of them? He goes, I hadn't thought about that. Do you care about that? I do a lot. Well, and then that engaged in a conversation, you know? And so I think working on being a better listener is how I personally try to be helpful in these situations. But in general, I think it's understanding that there are multiple approaches to different people to get them in promising them that it's not something they're going to have to worry about day to day, especially once you do the work. And that's no different than what you were talking about in the beginning of originally evaluating and treating patients. And that first patient interaction, you're, you're asking leading questions. You want to understand their story. And then we all know like every new patient is different, right? So they, they require different angles or, or different questions. And some will require like some individuals need to speak more. Some need you to kind of guide them more. So everyone's a little bit different. So it sounds like you have utilized some of that, you know, physical therapy evaluation, you know, skill set to what you're doing now. Yeah, I would agree. I think of uh, when I get into financial services, all I tried to do is find the clinical correlate so that it made transition easier. And I realized you know, working with a good advisor, whether it's legal, financial, tax, whatever, a lot of times they run, they basically run a soap note, you know, I'm just identifying it, you know, and that's, um, yeah, you're right. Got it. And then I, I mentioned a, a minute, we were just a minute or two ago mentioning ESOP. So in case anyone in the audience didn't catch that or, or know what that is, so that's employee stock ownership plan. Will and I, hopefully we can talk more about that on uh, future episodes. So 
let's go back to the the situation with your father really quick. So in the pre-interview, you mentioned either that there was no plan in place or you mentioned that the I was just taking notes. So the funding of his plans weren't in place. And then you also mentioned in the pre-interview that when he passed, he was between two different life insurance policy plans. Yeah. Or, just, just give me a little bit more clarity on, on his situation, because that, again, that'll resonate with the audience. Yeah. And a lot of what we're talking about today, and I know that we've already kind of teased it, but in future episodes, we'll talk more about exciting things related to planning and opportunities as a business owner. You have to kind of make good times better. Um, but a lot of what we're talking about now is how do you make bad times less painful? And so in, in the situation with my family, what I came to find out is that they were under the impression that they had life insurances, health insurances, disability, because they'd been working with a small business benefit provider. And so that guy had advised my dad, you know, had, had a conversation with him and realized he was paying for a lot of benefits from his old company, some of those being life insurance. And so the guy had said, Hey, Pat, we got these things in force. We got these things taken care of. You, you can let these other policies lapse, quit paying premiums on them, save some money. And so my dad said, okay, you know, he just trusted the guy because he was worried about the things you were talking about, Dave. He's worried about payroll. He's worried about client experience, you know, supply, production, all this stuff, you know, especially because supporting the construction industry, there's a lot going on. There's a lot changing. And so um, that's what my dad went about doing was just under the impression that that was there. And so that policy lapsed one day. Uh, my dad drops dead when those policies lapsed from his prior employer and he died on one day before the other policies went into force. So he literally died on the single day where he was not carrying life insurance. And the reason why my family, why it was so important up to that point, as I'd mentioned before, my dad was had just leveraged anything and everything to get this second business started. And no plans were really in place. You know, like the types of accounts that people would think should be in place, you know, all the retirement accounts, all these other things, like that stuff just wasn't there. And I see that a lot, especially in the business owning space, because it's, we're betting on this thing to solve all things. And, that, and that's that screw loose mentality. And you see a lot of people where it's successful. What is it? You hear people talk about this burn the ships mentality of like, we're going for it, you know, come hell or high water. Now, my dad was 58 years old and obviously it had these and was well aware that, you know, life is finite and all the, like, he, he, it's not like he was ignorant to the way the world works, you know, and him and my mom had talked about a lot of these things. And the reason why I, I, then I used, you mentioned the word funding. Well, they sat back and people mistake like dreams with plans. You know, I think plans have paperwork associated with it. You know, my family talked about, my mom and dad talked about what they wanted the business to do. You know, they talked about, well, what if something happens to either one of us? but they hadn't gone and got the appropriate legal work put into place, you know, powers of attorney, wills, all these different stuffs, you know, especially updated at the very least, I think they had something rudimentary, but it wasn't updated to reflect the business and the business practice and what happens if things happen. And then when I mention the word funding, sometimes you say, Hey, I want, I want my partner to buy out my shares. Well, how's the partner going to be able to do that if you pass away? You know, that needs to be funded or I want my wife to get paid out from the business. Well, if the business is staying in operation and there's not cash, there, like how does the business pay for that? And so when I'm talking funding in these instances, I'm specifically talking about life insurances 
because the ages of the business and where things were at the time when my dad passed, it was, you know, you take a little bit of dollars and you buy lots of dollars. That's basically what life insurance is. And my family just hadn't done that where my dad hadn't done that to fund the plans, you know, to fund the dreams. The dreams were there, but there was nothing to actually actualize those and make those happen. And that is possible. You can do that. A lot of people don't because they'll say, well, I don't have any extra money. Well, have you even had that conversation? Do you even know what that would cost? Like, I know there have been a number of times throughout my life where I've been like, ah, I can't do that. You know, I just, I can't afford that. And then you go and you actually do it. And you're like, oh, that didn't cost anything. It's not that big of a deal. But you just already like create the solution in your mind before you've even asked the questions. And so when it comes down to like funding the dreams and funding that types of stuff, especially when you've got other people on the boat, that business boat, you've got to think about what happens if you're not captaining the ship? Like, what do you want to happen? Do you want them to go down? I mean, some captains say, Hey, if I'm, if the ship's sinking, I want them going down with me, whatever. But most people want, want to make sure that, you know, the crew and the passengers get to their destination safely. Well, you gotta, you gotta put that plan into place. Right. And that, that seems like a lot of the practice owners that we're speaking with about potentially acquiring their practice, many of them care equally, if not more, about their the care of their team and their employees after a potential sale. They care about that almost as much as price in terms of, of what they're actually going to get. Uh, every practice owner is a little bit different. And some owners are obviously going to care more about the price and less about the employees there. But uh, that is definitely something that we see. So your father was 58 when he passed and he was basically between those policies. Nowadays, like right now, let's just say if someone's 50, 60 years old, is it easier now or is it doable to, and I don't want to get into, we always have to make a comment about this is not uh, financial advice and speak educational purposes. Yeah, it's educational purposes, purposes only. only. Okay. Let's just say uh, my father or, or someone that's in my family uh, is it easy for them now to have overlapping of coverages? And is it like the same? Is it one day? It, do you have to do like overlap by a week or just so Super easy. You, uh, don't, you don't avoid, uh, you can avoid what happened with your father, which is the small percentage of likelihood of him passing between those policies. But as you mentioned with your story, it is possible. So how can practice owners think of that? And even though they might think of shelling out extra money, if there's some overlap in, in coverage, how, do, how does that work? You know, he was allowing these, he was providing a lot of his benefits through this business benefits broker. And that's great. Well, then he had also started to meet with some, some guy cold called him and said, Hey, heard your business owner. What's going on in your personal life? Like, what are you using the business success for? And started doing financial planning for my dad on an individual basis. And my dad had just got ready to start underwriting for personal life insurance policies so like my dad just got like slapped all around in this life. And I guess that would include my mom and the family. And this whole situation is like, you know, the business benefits guy said he solved it. He had a solution and it lapsed and he was preparing to actually create the financial plan that we've been talking about, but didn't get a chance to put it into play because he died prematurely. So it's just a total bummer as far as overlaps. And as far as those types of things, you don't see that happen a lot now for a lot of reasons. One, it's not difficult to get coverage into place, assuming you're healthy. Number two, like my dad just made a lot of assumptions that a lot of things were getting done and they weren't. And I would argue maybe technology being a little as quicker as it is now, as quick as it is now, 
you can solve those problems with less delay. So as far as like the actual logistics of it, I don't think it's as difficult. Um, as far as extra costs, I mean, especially if you're starting out with term life insurance, it doesn't, it just, the cost isn't a whole lot. I'm also just seeing people buy and buy. And I don't know if it's, I don't know where the bias lies. I don't know if it's a sample size thing, but I'm seeing people at least in their fifties and sixties being a little bit smarter and how they're approaching things. What my dad ran into is becoming less common. And I think it's because there's a lot more marketing to these things. There's a lot more, there's just, there's more exposure to a lot of stuff. Got it. And another thing, as we're talking, we speak with physical therapy practice owners, for example, about potentially assisting them with their succession plan, exit plan, acquiring some or all of their practice. And some of those practice owners are still treating and some aren't. And I know we're going to have you back and we'll, we can talk more topics around this, this whole area. Um, but the practice owners that are still working in whatever business, so if it's physical therapy or in, you know, like construction, whatever the business is, if they're still working in the business, then rather than working on the business, if they're still working in the business and that's taking a lot of their physical energy, their mental energy, all that, arguably they probably have less bandwidth or less ability to think about or even plan or communicate with their team or their advisors about the long-term vision that the financial planning and all that. So in, I think Friday, you and I, we had a Zoom call last week and we were talking about the differences between like a practice owner or a business owner who's, if they're working on their business, but not in their business, if they're not treating patients or if they're treating less patients, then typically they can sell for a higher multiple and, and the practice is usually more valuable to a buyer because the practice and the business is just like operating on its own without really the owner tied into producing and completing the service. So do you have clients where you see a common theme where they have more ability to think about and plan for these types of things if they're delegating more, if they're outside of fulfilling the the core service and they're working on the business rather than working in the business or do you, do you see that you know maybe it depends on the individual and that some of them are able to still work in the business and think about all of this financial planning and having life insurance policy set up and making sure that everything is in place for if there's a catastrophic event yeah i think some of it is i, I think uh, sometimes there's a mindset and i'm sure i guarantee you see it but there's there's a mindset issue where um they expect, so I see a couple of things they do. Those who are working and like carrying a caseload do seem to struggle to make time to have the conversations. And I think a lot of it is because they're still in this. Well, I got to treat these patients. Well, then you sit back and you say, well, you know, Mrs. Smith's session is important. We're not saying it's not, but how many Mrs. Smith's don't get care if you don't have solutions? You know, if you haven't taken time to review with your, legal team and your other owners of, Hey, here's the steps. Here's the process. If I get disabled, if I can't work and can't support, here's how we keep the doors open and how we keep things moving. I would argue that's more valuable than Mrs. Smith's session, but how many owners are actually going to say, Hey, talk to the, whoever's controlling the calendar, say, Hey, I need you to block off an hour so I could talk to my legal team, my financial team, my whatever during a time when those professional and they expect those professionals to meet after hours. And it's like, well, you also expect patients to come in from, 
you know, between seven and five. Sure, you're open later, but like allow yourself to be someone else's patient. Like, what would you do in the other situation? But they're so worried about, well, if I take a little bit of time out to solve these problems, what's going to happen? And so that's one. And then when they transition to being, so that's like that one mindset is they don't just make the time. You're literally the owner. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to reschedule that patient as well. And that's a communication thing. Cue Jerry Durham, right? So then in this other situation, when you're working on the business, I find that some of them do start to to make time to have those conversations, but not always. It's not like a, and I think some of it is the mindset of being allowed to, but I would agree. They do make more time when they're, when they're on, not in to think about this stuff. Um, definitely want to have you back. Let's just drop a few future episodes or a few interviews in terms of topics, what we're going to cover. So you and I, we're definitely going to cover more specific financial advising topics. We're going to cover this, which is, so a practice owner, where are you now? Where will you be in the future? Goals for your net worth. So if a practice owner says they want to have a net worth of $10 million, Will's going to ask you, okay, why? And then maybe after that, it would be the how and different approaches to get there. What about this, Will, in terms of a the practice owner, do they usually, or business owners, do they ask about you know, returns. And I know that's not really guaranteed and, you know, past results don't guarantee future uh, earnings or future performance. But is that something we can talk about in the future? Like in terms of securities and high volatility versus low volatility and where you would advise different business owners on what might be best for them? Yeah. And I think, and I think we should, because it's a lot like, um, it's a lot like buying equipment for a clinic. Like you need to understand the purpose of it. You need to understand the expectations you need to understand, you know, the threats and you know, the liabilities. The up, you need to know those things. So I would say, yeah, we can definitely talk about that stuff, and I think we should. And I think that a lot of it is when meeting, like if you're meeting with somebody who does fulfills the role that I do, the conversations you should come in with some like high level like dreams, like some aspirations, and you should have an idea of what and what they're going to do as well as ask you about. All right, those ideas are great. What's actually in place? What are you doing right now to achieve that? What do you think your current estimated time of arrival is? And what are some areas that maybe you're still foggy on about? I'm here and I want to be there. And those are the types of things that I'll ask to get questions about because I think the best advice is tailored advice when talking about businesses. You know, there are some like hot plate types of things where it's like, yeah, well, you need that. Like there are some just rank and file boxes that need to be checked. But as far as creating individual opportunity based upon your efforts. I think that that is a detailed conversation. Got it. And and another thing for physical therapy practitioners, what we see all over the internet, which is many owners are having difficulty hiring right now in, in 2022. Um, so if we could talk about ESOPs, I don't know if that's something you want to talk about, but I would be curious as to is, is an ESOP something that you see business owners doing more so now, or is just maybe something to consider in terms of, retaining talent because if there's a hiring issue or if there's a if there's a challenge in the marketplace with hiring then the first thing you would want to do is also look at like hey how are we treating our current people are and are we retaining top talent or are they leaving for competitors or are they leaving to open their own business yeah and i would say yeah like esops especially is it's a i don't want to say it's an antiquated instrument because it's not but it's an instrument that people think about when they think about 
giving part of the business in some capacity to their employees. And they, the thing with the NISOP is it is a, an actual structure. It is a plan. It's not, it is a technical term. It's not just a, Hey, this is an acronym for a general idea. And lots of times, at least I very rarely meet physical therapy businesses that would qualify where it's sensible for them to put an ESOP in place. Now, there are other ways. Now, that's just a formal plan structure. The other thing that's important to know is a lot of what an owner wants to accomplish to retain top talent, there are other ways to do that. There are other what they would call non-qualified benefits that you can basically a la carte per the employee. Now, it might take a little bit of legal work, but that's okay. But what you can do then is create something very specific and tailored to the individual. And you can basically keep them present with vesting schedules to retain that tool and that talent. And if that talent leaves before, you know, the dates agreed upon in the contract, well, they breach the contract, the business retains whatever was being prepared or offered and whatever, you just kind of walk away and everything's separate. You know, you can create those things without creating formal structure like an ESOP. But we can talk about those different things, tools and, and ideas. And especially, especially it's tricky because the idea, employee mindset is changing. At least I've seen that a lot in physical therapy. And it could just be because of some of the social media bubbles that I find myself in. But there are ways that owners can retain talent without giving equity. I think owners are very quickly... They very frequently say, I want to keep someone here. I'll give them what I would want, which is ownership. And I think there's pros and cons to that. And there are other ways to incentivize somebody in lieu of giving equity. Got it. Got it. Okay. So um, what's the best place for someone in the audience to reach out to you, connect with you further, email, website, LinkedIn, social Um, media? Tony Maritato got tired of giving people my contact information. So we literally built financialphysio.com. I don't even know how to access it, but what that'll do, that's a very Tony thing, right? Um, Financialphysio.com? Yeah. And what that'll do is you can just set up a chance for us to chat because I'm a conversational person. I think it's important. There's a lot that can be communicated through email, but I think something as important as your business, you should have a conversation. If they want to email william.butler at nm. Like nancymichael.com or you can always just direct message me through I don't really have any professional profiles namely because I just don't like dealing with compliance so if I don't put stuff out there it doesn't have to get approved but yeah that that would be a great way to connect with me would be through either financialphysio.com or to email me directly awesome uh, if there's anyone in the audience that wants to connect here with me go ahead and uh, you can search Dave Kittle on LinkedIn connect with you there I'm the owner of Concierge Pain Relief, home physical therapy here in New York City, and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. And we are currently acquiring physical therapy practices in New York and New Jersey. So if that fits your situation, go ahead and reach out to us. We would love to communicate. Also, if you're a practice owner and you have ideas for uh, future topics about succession planning, exiting the financial aspect of your practice and your retirement, you can reach out to either of us, Will, Will or myself. And um, if you have an introduction or a suggestion of a potential uh, individual, like Will might connect us with a, uh, a dental broker. And even though that's not uh, physical therapy, we're definitely speaking with professionals in the healthcare world that have gone through either transactions and exits and sale and mergers, or they help 
practice owners and business owners with their financial situation. So that's it for me. Will, thank you so much for your time. It was awesome to hear the backstory, connect with you further and uh, and get this out here, get your, you know, your whole story and, and what you offer out to more practice owners. Awesome. I appreciate it, Dave. This was, uh, this was enjoyable. I'm hyped up. I might have two gym sessions in me today. There we go. Awesome. So we're going to bring Will back soon, hopefully in, in the next month or so. We have more topics that we just teased there. And that's it for now. And we'll see you next time on the Dave Kittle Show. Bye. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.